Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional, ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life, with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Hello and welcome to the Best Practices in Human Resources podcast. I'm Brenda, the HR lady, and I'd like to thank you for listening to this show. If you're a returning listener, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for coming back time and time again uh, to enjoy another episode, uh, getting some really great emails from you guys, and thank you. The feedback is wonderful. And if you're a first-time listener, welcome. I'm here to share with you the what and the how in human resources because I'm in the human business. And that means that there's a greater number of dynamics in the workplace to balance and manage. So today I'm going to share with you, we've got some employment law changes across the nation. And I'm going to tell you how and where you can get access to these articles that I'm calling out in the episode. We've got an epic, epic guest. Uh, We've got U.S. Navy SEAL T.K. Epley joining us who... Uh, left service and went into a CEO's position several and several times over. Um, just absolutely phenomenal interview. Great, great guy. Always love talking to TK and just I'm constantly astonished what I learned from him. He's just brilliant guy. And then last, I'm going to talk to you about how you guys will be able to get my best practices delivered right to your inbox. And But before we go any further, guys, I just want to let you know that the information that is available through this podcast is for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing any form of legal advice. You should contact your attorney to obtain legal advice with respect to any particular issue. If you, have an, if you do not have an employment attorney, go ahead and reach out to me and I might be able to refer one to you through uh, our friends over at Jackson Lewis and our affiliates program. <clears throat> and just so you guys know, I don't get paid for... Anybody that I refer or recommend um, that I call out in these shows. So I just wanted to, you know, let you guys know I do this so that we can find a way how we can help you guys solve your problems. That's my goal. All right. So employment law changes and headlines across the nation. Election 2020 in the labor movement. Uh, Why this election matters to employees. There's an article out there on that. Also, the OFCCP has published voluntary requests for information in connection with combating race and gender stereotyping executive order. (laughs) I just ran out of air on that one. Uh, The CDC has also uh, defined an expansion of close contact and what it means for uh, employees and what kind of trouble that could unfortunately get people into. Uh, Employees who are voting in the upcoming election, if you have not yet figured out what you're going to do to help support your employees uh, for voting leave. Some states do require it. It's a great article to uh, read up on. Might be some helpful tips and tricks that will help you through this election year. Also, the SEC's Enhanced Human Capital Disclosure Requirement, what companies should know about that as well. Over in California, uh, New California Law has expanded the successor liability for labor code judgments. Also, California propositions employers should be watching in an upcoming election. San Francisco has enacted the tourist hotel ordinance requiring new cleaning and disaffecting protocols and prohibiting retaliation. And lastly, California's new AB 1512 has revised security officer rest period rules. Over in Colorado, Colorado has proposed equal pay transparency rules that may affect employers nationwide. And that's not uncommon when a state uh, enforces one thing, it kind of sets a precedence for other states to potentially follow. So no big surprise there. Florida's appellate uh, court has shut down the financial discovery on employers, and they're referring to it. The buck stops here. Also, Florida's minimum wage increases on January 1st, 2021. So Florida, you're going to want to dial into that. Over Maryland, Montgomery, this is, this is astonishing, to be honest with you. Just the, just the headline alone blew me out of the water. 
Montgomery County, Maryland, has lowered their standards for proving harassment in the workplace. Uh, Michigan. Michigan's OSHA has issued emergency rules related to COVID-19. Also in New York, New York State has issued their guidance and FAQs for paid sick leave law. And lastly, Tennessee, uh, there is a pandemic-based E-Verify TNC temporary extension is expected to end. So that's what we got as far as headlines across the nation. And um, not a lot, to, not a lot this week, but still some pretty good stuff. There are approximately 2,500 members of the U.S. Special Operations community who transition out of active duty military service every single year. The Honor Foundation has dedicated its mission to serving these elite individuals on their journey to prepare for life once they take off the uniform. In the past few years, we've begun our own journey to reach this number, launching three physical campuses in San Diego, California, Virginia Beach, Virginia, and near Wilmington, North Carolina along with a virtual campus to reach members of the community anywhere on the planet. I spent 26 years in the special operations community as a SEAL. I graduated from THS program, I served on the board of directors, and now I'm proud to lead this organization into the future to continue assisting these transitioning service members and their families. Our dedicated team, our world-class program, and our incredible tribes of supporters are standing by to help THF alumni and future fellows and are committed to providing the best possible support system and resources to better serve this community. Our vision for the Honor Foundation is clear, to impact every transitioning service member from the U.S. Special Operations Enterprise through our programs and support, and to be a catalyst for overhauling the entire DOD transition program. It's a big task, but the community deserves it, and we're driving full steam ahead to make this a reality. If you've been inspired with what the Honor Foundation's done in the last five years, I welcome you all to join us as we craft the next chapter in defining what it means to serve others with honor for life. Today, we've got probably one of the most intelligent people I know on the planet who speaks. I like when this guy speaks, I just, I literally just want to, I just literally shut up and just listen because what comes out of this gentleman is just absolutely gold all the time. And uh, folks, I'd like to welcome TK Epley. How are you, dear? I'm doing very well. I don't know if I'm going to be able to live up to that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> too much pressure, right? Uh, something like that. <laughs> you must have caught me on a good day the last time I, was <laughs> I had a coherent thought for a minute <laughs> well you know we've had some good conversations over beer too oh right? we have yeah <laughs> but so so tk and i met oh what 2017 i think and um we, we we pop into each other every now and again and but when we do we just always have these amazing conversations and and uh he's been out there just literally crushing life and uh you know look do me a favor because I can't say it, I can't say it any better than you. Can you please give everybody just you know brief background of who TK is? So I was a SEAL for 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, the last five of which I got involved with uh, what we call technical collection, which is all the electronics piece of what we do in the SEAL community. Um, so when I retired, I went into I went into tech basically because the guys that were working for me that were contractors from the company I went to work for asked me to come and work there. And so I did, and it turned out to be kind of what I was passionate about and uh, kind of found my life's, life's work. And along the way, I went from <clears throat> taking that first four or so years I was retired and really digging into the technology piece to become that subject matter expert and then moving into executive roles with other companies. Uh, and along the way, I've, I've built built you know early stage companies to building them <clears throat> to come into a little bit later um, i've seen really good practices both in business hr and sales i've seen really bad practices mm -hmm. um, lately i do a lot of consulting uh, i'll go for a year here a year there or i'll just come in and i'll help people with a problem and that's really what i like is uh, i don't want to be bored uh, and i'm always looking for the next opportunity to be a leader at a company with the technology and a, a whole bunch of really cool folks that are a lot smarter than i am to do business yeah. And it's one of the things that I've always admired about you is that you always, you see a challenge, which I think to a lot of people would look at it as, 
insurmountable or higher than their capability reach. I mean, you just like level the mountain. <laughs> I just, I listen, every time I catch up and listen to you, I just, I learn that about you. I think most people, when they, when they say they, when they look at something and they say it's extremely daunting, <clears throat> they do it from the prism of themselves. They look internal yeah. themselves. They yeah. don't say, Hey, I know an amazing group of people, or there are amazing people out there that I haven't met that can help this group be better and we can all solve this problem together. They want to make it about themselves. Yeah. And I think, I think you're going to see this go away, but Stanford did a huge business. I'm talking tens of thousands of hours of interviews and stuff with PE firms, with boards of directors, with uh, CEOs themselves. And what they found out is, uh, and I've experienced it, that like narcissists, for example, are very good at getting CEO jobs, the high level jobs. They walk in and they say, I've climbed the mountain. I've done this. I'm going to save you X amount of dollars. And they're very sure of themselves. They have great resumes and they go in there and they, and then about a year and a half later, the wheels start to come off the cart Mm -hmm. because as a narcissist, they're going to be abusive to the staff and things like that. And it creates a whole bunch of second order and third order problems. I think that with the way society is now and you're, you're, you know, when people say, I, I hear older folks go, I, I mean, when I say older, I mean, in my age group, say they can't work with millennials. I laugh because the young, the oldest millennial is 40 years old, almost. Right. And <clears throat> I'm like, that, that person's a director or a junior VP in your company. You're not yeah. talking about them. You're talking about those, those Gen Xers or not even Gen Xers, but the Gen Zs, the 20, you know, I got out of college too. I'm 28 years old. Right. <clears throat> I call them the pre-married problem employees. But yeah, because they, they're just free and either fun. They want to work hard. They, they got they got nothing but themselves, right? They're they, they're freshly moved out of their mom's house or out of college, and they're just off and they're working. They're having a great time. How do I grow those people? Yeah, I, that's an amazing challenge to me. And so I always say that our senior military folks, uh, and where well, you've heard me speak at the Honor Foundation, and one of the things I say is like when you understand that one of the big values is is not that you've been a sealer, you went and got your MBA, because you got education, you don't have knowledge yet. But you, the one thing you have that most other 42, 45, 50 year olds don't have is I always joke around E3 stay the same age. You just keep getting older. <laughs> so you have to learn how to work with young people, right? Because you yes. have to make them productive and all the other things. Right. Yes. And so that's the, when I get excited about it, I get excited about the technology because I'm a dork like that. I'm a math head and I like that kind of stuff, <clears throat> but I look at it and go, Hey, what kind of really cool organization can we bring together? and do great things. Yep. Right? And I think some of the things we've talked about in the past is one of the things that I look for when I look for HR folks is, hey, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be working a lot of late nights, doing a lot of things. You know what they don't want to worry about? They don't want to worry about their benefits. They don't want to worry about time cards. They don't want to worry about all this stuff. There has to be an efficient system to manage it. And they have to have a place they feel comfortable to go to um, express grievances sometimes or to say, hey, I just don't know how this works. Right. right. Because in, in the, that keeping that frustration level down with the basics, like I've got to go to the doctor. How, how many 22, 23 year olds have made medical appointments on their own? I, I own one. Right. <laughs> and mom gets a call every time he's got to go to the doctor. Right. Because it's something that's been done for them. And they're generally when you're in college, you're healthy. So you don't go to the doctor and all of a sudden right. I go to the dentist. How do you, how do I get out of work for the afternoon to go do that? Right. I mean, all of those little things. So that's the great side of it. And then on the not so great side, when you've got to deal with folks that aren't, that aren't getting with the program. And I say that that's, Mm -hmm. I I take a lot of, personally, I take a lot of responsibility and it it hurts me when you've got to make those kind of changes. And how do you get empathetic, you know, empathetic HR folks, empathetic, you know, supervisors, how do you develop that culture? That's what really makes me excited. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. So something that we've been talking about here in this community over in the Next Gen Women in HR Facebook community, uh, something that I bring up from time to time, and you're a perfect person to talk to about this, is, you know, there's a lot of people that are in this job that don't know how to sell HR to a higher level, or if it's a small business, communicate with the CEO as to why something's important other than it just needs to get done because everybody says so and so does Sherm. Um, you know, we've talked, I've talked in this community and, and in this listenership about, you know, getting buy-in to the executive is a different kind of um, persuasive language that has to take place. Once you master it, 
then getting a yes and getting the full backing of an executive or a CEO increases significantly. And in my opinion, and I've seen this time and time again when I've done it, is that there's three things that I come from. Number one is if I don't understand the objectives of the company, how can I propose something that supports the organizational growth? If I don't understand the people problems from the eyes and the perspective of the CEO, and I'm not talking about like Jimmy the Chucklehead over there who's in the corner that can't seem to come in on time, time and time again, because he has to stop at McDonald's 15 minutes before he comes into work and it takes him 25, right? That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how are people growing? How is it impacting the culture, right? What are the culture issues? Something you just mentioned a minute ago. And then lastly, what are our processes? Do our processes weigh us down? Um, do we have too many processes that, that bury our ability to address our target audience, our customer, our client, or, or what have you, so that we can continue to move business forward? And so these fo this, this group of people often struggle with that because nobody ever teaches them how to do this. And then also once they do do it, then management changes. CEOs, right. you know, companies have a business life cycle and that usually starts and ends with the entrance and exit of a CEO. So I would love to hear your thoughts on this stuff. Okay. Um, there's a number of things. Um, what you're talking about is the language of influence. Right. Right. A lot of CEOs yep. want to work in the language of authority. Yes. Right. And I'm here to tell you, and I tell every executive I work with, everybody that, that in an organization that I have access to be able to say, hey, I want to help you grow. It's be a person of influence. Right. And the best CEOs that you're out there. And I think this is where everybody in the, in the company that has direct access to the CEO can start to say it's a question asking thing. Right. Um, I'm a big believer in there's a lot of ways to get things done that aren't accusatory. The word why is the most accusatory term on earth. Hey, why, <laughs> why, why are you wearing that outfit today? Right. Yeah. And you're like, well, that'll get your defenses up real quick. Right. But that's what you know, ultimately that's what you're trying not to do. Right. right? <clears throat> so when you talk about business objectives, what I hear is to go back and say, um, you kind of a military term for that is commander's intent, right? Yes, love um, it. I was I was recently with a buddy of mine who's still on active duty, and Spec Wars got themselves a new commander, a new two star. I've known him since he was an ensign, and we're friends. And the first thing I asked him, I said, "Hey, what, what did his commander's intent letter look like?" Right? Because he came in and said, "Here's what's important to me." Right? If that hasn't been done, whether it's the COO, the EVP of something, you know, whatever it is, which most CEOs, I don't care who they are, good or bad, they are going to come in and state what's important to them. If yeah. you don't understand that, ask. Yeah. Right? And I mean, there's a time and a place, right? Um, and I'll, I'm going to talk about where, where I think CEO behavior is going, sometimes where it's not quite yet today, but it's going more rapidly than I thought it was going to. It's like, I think a lot of the 55 and older crowd is clearing out. Um, if they're not adapting because they have to. Yes. Right. Um, it, it, no more, it, there's been never a time in history where human resources or people issues, capital, human capital issues are more important to the boards of directors than it has been today. Right. I interviewed for a CEO job that I didn't get. And when I found out who they hired, I would have hired him too. Right. He was much better than I was, right? especially because specifically what they were looking for. Right. And I was like, yep, he's the guy. A Midwestern company. He was a Midwestern guy could play well with Midwestern investors. I went in there and wanted to change the world. <laughs> right. They just wanted to go from five million to fifty million dollars. Right. The, 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 uh, the recruiter that was hired to to come in and, and basically find the talent said to me afterwards that one of the board members said, because he was on the board of a company that was on the East Coast, he goes, if I was sitting in that East Coast company with East Coast investors, he goes, he'd have gotten a job. Yeah. Right. So as a as an employee, you have to think geographically where you're at. Not fit, I don't mean geographically like where every employee's at. Where's the headquarters? What's the mindset of that company? Yeah. And then you have to start to understand the CEO. Like I've worked for a narcissist that could be extremely engaging and and brought his own HR person with him, not the senior person, 
initially, but install like, hey, we're going to bring this ex, we're going to bring this person in there, right? And because she knew how he liked to do business. Some of it wasn't the top of the, you know, some of it wasn't the best practice, I would say. It's probably the nicest way to say that, but they had a relationship, right? So this is about creating a relationship. Right. And where if, if you're afraid, most people are afraid to talk to somebody really senior to them because they're afraid they're going to be found out that they don't know everything, right? You don't have to know everything. Stick to what you know. If you yeah. don't know something, say, I don't know. I don't know means I'll go find out. Exactly. I will. Right? Go, but that's the other half of that sentence. I, I don't know the answer to that, but let me get back to you and I'm going to research this. I don't even want you to say that. Just tell me you don't know, because I'm going to assume that you're going to go, you're a professional and you're going to go turn it around. If not, that's a different discussion. Right. Right. My personal opinion is that as a leader, when I show up in an organization or when I'm coaching, you know, you get into an organization and things aren't exactly where they need to be. I'm a big believer, and you, you've heard me say this time and time again, of just ruthless transparency and honesty. Yep. I, if you guys follow me on social media, on my Instagram, you, I talk about it every single day. I post things two or three times a day that deal with solely that because it's that important. Yep. The, the CEO of any organization, and this is where a lot of technical CEOs, as I call them, they're, they're either the founder or their CEO that, that's, you know, he's the technical wizard that understands this better than everybody else. And a lot of times they get replaced with EQ CEOs. Anybody can build a company that sell a million dollars worth of stuff. If you have a product that people want and you're relatively smart, you don't even have to be all that talented. You can make a million dollars, right? Scaling to a hundred million is hard. Yeah. Right. It's not, it's not super difficult. It's just more complicated. Once you start getting over 20, $30 million, you have to, and some people have to do it sooner. It becomes less about your IQ and more about your EQ as a leader. All right. And so you should be hopeful in a big company. For instance, Amazon, I think I heard them, they hire 335 people a day. All right. That's a big organization. That's a big HR organization. Yeah, it's massive. Their HR organization is bigger than some of the companies I run. Right? You know what I mean? Just, just that alone. <laughs> to, to, to onboard and properly train and make sure everybody understands what they're supposed to be doing and compliant, get them into the right organization. That's a, that's a huge job. Yep. But I also have people that work at AWS and say, hey, uh, most of the people just carry the HR manual around all day looking for an excuse to be aggrieved. Yeah, that's right? good. And it comes back to this. Pierce's law says the following, that the square root of the total number of people on any project, that number, that square root. So if you have 100 people on a job, 10 of them are providing over 50% of the value. Think about that. It's really easy to quantify in sales, right? You give somebody a quota, they don't make their quota. Here's the top third, here's the bottom third. Right. And I go to sales organizations all the time and I say, you know, how many people, how many salespeople you got? And they're like, uh, we've got, we, you know, we've got 10. I'm like, so you got three people making their quota, one person at like 90% and everybody else is useless. And they're like, how'd you know? <laughs> like, it's almost an immutable, like it, it literally is almost it's, like, Hey, it's like that everywhere. You're going to get wet. Right. Right. right? Exactly. And it's scary. Amazon had a hundred thousand people in an organization, only 330 of them roughly plus or minus are actively or active participants in success, according to that metric. Right. Right. So when you get into an organization like Amazon or these big organizations, HR is no longer considered to be a cost center because of the amount of work it takes just to get that globally, that many employees on board in the right chair, doing the right thing every day of the week. Right. And dealing with the, re reper the human interaction repercussions. A CEO of a smaller company, I'm talking maybe even up to 100, 200, 300 people. You have to be, I had a CEO ask me at dinner one night, he goes, TK, what happens when you hate the culture of your company? I'm like, I literally said, I'm sorry, it sounded a lot like you said you hate the culture of your company. He goes, yeah, I do, I do. I really, I don't like it at all. I'm like, well, you're the chief culture officer. You're the chief vision officer. I think, especially when you start talking from a, a human resources piece, you're there to be a big help with that. Yeah. Right. Because I could, I, 
you know, I've been sitting in meetings where the CEO's like, hey, I want to do this. I want, to, I want everybody to have that. I want, I'm like, no, no, hold on. We can't do that. Why? Because I don't know exactly why, but we need to get my, like, we were just talking, my favorite HR person, her name was Brandy. I've ever, ever, I will go, I will drive a car out to go get her if I need her again and make sure that she's in the lap of luxury the whole way back. <laughs> because she would be like, she would just be like, no. And everybody would stop. And you knew it wasn't going to be abusive. You know what it was going to be anything. It was like, we're going to do that, but we're going to have to do it this way. Right. And this isn't the core mm -hmm. of what I'm getting at. There are two ways to solve every problem because largely what HR does is deal with rules, mm -hmm. right? That's the number one thing. As a leader, I am going to create a culture that values transparency. And that starts with me being transparent and it values standards. I want a standards-based organization, not a rules-based organization because rules are made for people that are trying to cheat the system, right? We, yes. never, developed, we never developed a rule because you know, hey, some of the safety stuff, yep. like put a helmet on, right? Why? Because if you don't, you're going to get hit in the head with something hard on the shop floor and you're going to, you know, you're going you're to have soft serve ice cream for the rest of your life. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so there's, there's those, but I'm talking in general, a lot of the things that don't make sense in an HR manual, why I can't do that. Well, you, or why did you have to, why did they even have to put that in there? Right. Because somebody's hearing, done something in the past. Right. But I love yeah. hearing somebody say that. My favorite thing for a junior employee is to read the HR manual and go to me, why do we even have to say that? I love you already because you have a mindset that's a positive mindset. And you're not trying to think because you're going to either as an HR person, use the rules to say no, mm -hmm. or to do everything you possibly can do for your people. Yep. And it's up to the CEO to set the stage for how that happens. Right. And so all of your conversations have to be open in that, in that vein. Right. And you're going to get asked hard questions. Right. I was recently talking to a company down in Florida. They were a family owned business that has been around for 50 years. A big, big hedge fund person. If I said his name, people that know money would know who it is just bought the company. He basically said, I'm going to keep 60% of the company. I'm going to do 40% as an ESOP. Everybody's uh, HR folks should be employee stock owned program. Right. So 40% of that company is owned by the employees. And that's a relatively new thing. And like I said, it was literally mom and pop, grand, you know, dad thing, the kids, right? And they're slowly moving that out. They did $1.3 billion in revenue last year. And it was run like a family business, right? And they, they were killing it. When they asked me to come in and talk about strategy and how to go to the 21st century and how to really say, hey, we want to go from 1.3 to, to 1.6 per se. That's not really where they want to go. That's, I talked them into that being the next intermediate step, right? Because if you start making these targets too grandiose and you miss, what do you do to employee morale? More importantly, there are enough problems with what went on, um, primarily with customer service, right? Because you have a business that every interaction is with a customer service agent, right? right? <clears throat> I went online and I looked at what externally people were writing on Google reviews for them. Their customer rating was a 1.8. It's, it's like you have, I'm just impressed because you have to work your butt off to get a 1.8. You don't do that by accident. Yeah. I went there and they said, well, I said, so how are you going to solve this problem? I already knew the answer I wanted. I knew I wasn't going to get it because I, I knew what they weren't looking at. Right. Cause they weren't, they were thinking like bosses, not leaders. Yes. Right. And so what they've done is whether it's HR or anybody else, they've instilled that thought process to think like a boss, don't think like a leader. And I'll talk a little bit about how we think like leaders. But there, when I looked and I went on Glassdoor, Indeed, and all the places where employees can dump, dump their, you know, vent their spleen about happiness or sadness of a company. And they also gave the company a 1.8 rate. So they were assuming they were just going to go buy some reputation management software and try to scrub the internet, which is, I, I, I almost start laughing and hurt myself every time I think about it. Cause this is like, I'll take dumb ideas for a thousand. You know, I say, I say people, most people walk through life just wanting to have the appearance of competency and they expend yeah. a lot of effort trying to appear to be competent. Why don't you just take that same amount of effort and actually go be competent? Right. The reputation, reputation management software is like, hey, we're really not that good, but we want to we want to whitewash the fence again this week. Right. And that's it might get you out of trouble for a second, but you're going to dump right back in that hole. <clears throat> and so they were like, well, oh, they're all just complaining about money. 
I go, nah, there's a couple. Every, you know, there's one person in every crowd that complains about money, right? I want a brick of gold every day of the week and I want a Versace bag to carry it home in. All right. It's like, all right, get back to the grindstone. Um, and talk to the rest of your friends who are in touch with the reality and we'll work from there. What it was saying was this. Once I got to the heart of the problem was it took six months to properly train one of the CSRs. The average CSR got frustrated and left at four months. So the entirety of their first line to the customer, outward facing customer, never was fully trained. Their number one complaint was that that first line supervisor, the one that when you got to escalate and they don't know the answer to the question because they're not fully trained, every time they turned around, every month it was a different person. Right? So they had the they problem. Well, they weren't building, the organization wasn't helping them build trust yeah. in what they're doing, right? Because huge. Oh yeah, no, it's it was massive, right? Dude. But there, but people get invested and hold on to their own outcomes so much that they'll argue that. Yeah. Like, like, no, that's not it. I'm like, yep. It, it, look, I went to school for math, and if both sides of the coin are one, they have a 1.8 cus. They have a one point. The the CSRs have a 1.8 customer rating of their own company. That's how they value their own company. The direct reflection is when they talk to the customers, that's what comes off on the customers. Where does that start? And they, they literally started like somewhere way down in the middle. I'm like, no, 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 no. It starts in this room. Right. And I think a lot of times, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in bigger companies now, it might not be elevated to be in the C-suite, but there's going to be an HR representative in most of those meetings. Oh yeah, Absolutely. Right. I mean, now some people have like big companies like Facebook, they'll have a chief people officer. Right. But that is a relatively new, a new thing for a company that's just that gargantuan. But smaller companies, uh, a lot of times that VP of HR or SVP of HR doesn't always get to the front door. No. Right. And I would tell those SVPs of HR that, look, you have to cultivate your people and you're the number one, hey, we've got to, we've got to sell things that are unpleasant sometimes. So what's the training? How much role playing do you do? Right? As an organization, like, yes, everybody's got something to do. But once a week, you get picked. Hey, here's the problem. Right? And it's yep. 15 minutes. Yeah. Right? Here's the here's the problem. How do we do that? Right? I tell sales organizations all the time. I said, you have the ability to record every conversation, correct? Modern modern phone systems that they use to sell, especially, you know, the over the phone guys. I'm like, yeah, how many times have you recorded it? And play it back and listen to yourself. How many times have you reviewed it? Well, that's no, but that's, it's a coach's tape, right? It's a coach's film. First you coach yourself and then you say, hey, I got to go somewhere else and I need coaching. It's the same way with talking with executives. Yeah. Right? There's a, they gotta, they gotta get up and put their, get dressed the same way you do. Right? But you're right that they are, their outcome, their, you know, their outcome decision tree is different. And in small to mid-sized companies, HR is a cost center, right? And so when the head of HR is like, hey, I need three more people for this. And he's like, well, God, like, you know, we have a tribe down there. I mean, like, <laughs> what's going on down there? I mean, I, I don't even get cookies or anything because you got to be doing something other than HR down there because that's a lot of people, right? And I've heard like, literally like, oh, are you guys like running a bake sale or something we don't know about? Because like, they're just trying to figure out, it just seems like a lot of people. And a lot of times that is, it's an incorrect articulation of what the issues are. Yeah. Right. I think a lot of people, I, going back to what you were talking about, commander's intent, because it just, it keeps hitting my mind is that all these things that, you know, we're talking about fabulous, but it, it always comes down to two things. Do you know what the, the leadership is expecting of you? And number two, what are you doing to instill trust that, they don't not necessarily put yourself in a position where you're 100% completely autonomous, but like what you were talking about, Brandy, you know, you would, you would drive across the country and make sure she comes back in the lap of luxury because she's hit, she's hit those markers. She's hit those, what's important to you as an apex leader in an organization to feel confident, to know that she's literally, you know, she's got your back. She's got a seat at the table, whatever cliche you want to say. Right. But she's also somebody that you can turn your head to the right to go deal with what's going on here and feel comfortable that what is going on on the left side of your, that's now out of your field of vision is being handled. And that takes time and it takes trust. It takes experience. It takes failure and how you respond to it. 
Right. I think, I think this, yeah. I start out, my, my style has always been I, with everybody I meet and not just employees. Everybody starts out at a four Oh and they got to work their way down. I'm almost afraid uh, to ask what I am now. Well, if there was a five, you would have it. <laughs> if there was a five. We don't, there's no, there's no room on the form for a five. So you're stuck at a four. Right? Sorry. <laughs> I was, I didn't have any forethought. I didn't meet, I hadn't met you when I made my form yet. So I was stuck at four. <laughs> Uh, oh, thank you for that. <laughs> and, um, but the, I, when I, I used to walk into the junior folks, it was a great company because we had so many young folks and it was this thought experiment for me, but I always said it could work this way. And I just started doing it. And I would walk into the junior, anybody, 22, 24 year olds, they're out young, intelligent people that really want to, they're so concerned about learning and making, I love them. They're sponges. They're like, they're my favorite people in the tour. I don't want to show up with another cranky 45, 50 year old that's bitching about his family and everything like that. And I'm like, just go sell something or do something. Stop talking to me already. You're making my head hurt. I got the same problems you do. Leave me alone. Right. Let's talk about work. Right. We're in work. Let's talk about work. Um, but you go in and I would just look at, look at them and go, what are you doing to be great today? And I, some of the older folks in the company would be, or more senior folks, because most everybody was young. You just, you could always tell who was in charge because we all had great beards, right? Um, <laughs> but uh, this concept of, hey, in your personal life, whatever you feel you're achieving greatness, if you're doing that, you're going to do great things for us, right? But I was also slowly going around and creating uh, uh, that common phrase, like we've got to have something that binds us together. And so... It, I could hear them joking around about it. Like people would walk in at first, like they were almost making fun of me. And they, they weren't almost making fun of me. They were making fun of me, but that's okay. Because I, it was, I'm playing chess and they were playing checkers. And I slowly but surely, that stopped being a joke, right? And I, somebody made a big sale. We, and we're a startup. The product is, man, it's growing. Early. So making a decent sized sale is a big deal. And I just heard one of the junior folks look at one of the other folks and go, hey, you were great today, right? And there was that level of empathy. I'm a big believer in two things, empathy and accountability. Yep. If you have empathy with no accountability, it's chaos, mm -hmm. right? And if you have accountability with no empathy, you're just mean. And that's yes. how people go, get rid of that person, get rid of that person, get rid of that person, yep. right? And then HR becomes a basically revolving door to fill out exit paperwork, right? Yep. Which is terrible. Yeah, right? that's a nasty position to be in. No, having fired a bunch of people, Largely because the predecessors oversized the company really quickly. They got a big bucket of money and started building this grandiose vision. We had to come clean it up a little bit. Um, you know, I fired the better part of 50 people in one day. Mm -hmm. And I started because we had this, I started with the folks that were in Europe and I made my way to California. And we got to whatever the number was, it was like 44, 45. And the VP of HR at the time looks at me and she goes, oh, I'm glad that's done. I look straight in the eye. I go, we got one more. And I got rid of her. Right. And that's how we got Brandy um, because she was the number two and there had been some adverse behavior with the number one. And I was like, if we're going to start, and I will tell all you HR practitioners out there, if you have it within your power to talk to a senior leader who is advocating workforce changes, let's just put it that way. However they may be, if you're going to get into the business of letting people go, and usually this is in startups or post startups when you're trying to manipulate money against people and time, you're trying to make, you have top line revenue, you have bottom line revenue. In between, you have all your expenses and EBITDA, earnings before <clears throat> taxes, interest, deductions, or, or, uh, amortization. You gotta, if you can't make the top line number, you got to finesse everything in the middle. And that's what we spend, what we don't spend, how many people we have, all of those things, right? And if you're getting to a point where you've got to let go of people, what I tell everybody to say is make sure you do one too many, not one too little. Yeah. Because if you leave that one person hanging on, there's going to be the one, there's going to be that, why did that person get to stay? Because yeah. everybody knows who, and sometimes it's just like, hey, we don't have the money to have these, these people here, right? And, you know, it, it's, not, it's not a performance thing or something, but it, it's go, go the one extra. Uh, I, every time it's done and it's done badly, it's one too little. And then there becomes an issue somewhere along the way. But you have to do it with empathy and accountability. Yep. Right? As you grow a business, it's the opposite, right? We have all these metrics, most of which I think are anachronistic and very and not very, 
I, I don't think they yield the rest, best results when it comes to hiring, right? Because I don't think we put a big, a big enough quotient on emotional intelligence to, to have people be hired. Right. Or to be in that process, right? Is what's the responsibility of HR in that process? What's the responsibility of the hiring manager? What's the intent of the executive team to say, why are we bringing these people on? All right. Now, <clears throat> what's the, if the person shows up, there's, there's, hey, there's performance and there's behavior, right? Those are the only two things people bring to work with them every day. If you're, it's easy, if you're a good performer, if, you have, if, they, if they are a great performer and they're really well behaved, you can stay as long as you like, we love you, right? The other, the opposite, hey, if you're a terrible performer and your behavior's terrible, you have to go. Those are easy, right? <clears throat> If you're a great performer, but you're a terrible behavior problem, and this is the hard one. These are the hard go. ones. You have to go. Yep. I will get rid of a performer every day of the week that is disruptive. Yep. Right? Especially if they're really smart, because they're going to be wildly smart and be, be damaging to the rest of the people yes. who aren't quite as smart. Yes. And it, the, here's the one that people leave off the map. If you have a average performer that's got is really impeccable with their behavior i mean integrity and all those things that matter those are the ones you have to train up yep right and it's it's not a hard like that everybody wants to make this like seventh level zen magic it's not right <laughs> i i think one of the reasons that i've had any success at all in life is because i go what's really important yeah right? whether it's with your kids relationships you know whatever it is right what's really important here <clears throat> what are the in I think one of the things that you talk about having been a SEAL is risk mitigation, right? How do I, that we spend our whole life managing risk, right? The empathy part of this is this, you're not getting it done. Yep. That's on me because our, we, whatever system we have to hire people, we felt you were eminently qualified and we made a mistake, but we like, we like having you here. We think you're a good person. So we're going to put every, everything in front of you to be successful. We're going to give you every tool. We're going to train you. We're going to do everything because that's on us because we hired you. The accountability piece is, Hey, but at the end of it, it's a certain period of time. We still need a result because we're a business. Right. But, and I would come down, like we get some people like that and it's great in smaller companies because the CEO can have some big impact or the COO or the G, you know, those that top yep. three or four people, you can walk in and go, Hey, and I do this all the time. Now, any senior people sitting out there, and this is, I think HR people also have the ability to coach up their executives, right? I don't think they take that opportunity enough, right? Yeah, that's, um, a, that's a freaky, fearful thing if you've never done it before. That's a, you that's don't a, have to do it. You don't have to do it like you're walking in with your whistle on and a striped shirt. You know, like, oh, come on. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the art of influence. I, we could come yes. on and have a whole other podcast because it's on the art of influence in, in business organizations. I'd love to have that, yeah. It's, hey, I, you're, I know you're going to go in and talk to this person. Remember this. You just coach them up. Yep. Right? It doesn't have to be, and in, in the appropriate response is thank you. Yeah. So we've got just a few minutes left, and, and this, this really brings up a topic. It brings up a phrase that I've heard from one of my all-time, no, wait a minute, before I say this, before I put my foot in my mouth, when you were in the teams, were you an officer and enlisted? Enlisted guy. A senior you, enlisted. I was senior enlisted. Senior enlisted? Yeah. Okay. So I'll put this as one of my all-time favorite command master chiefs. <laughs> in case I don't, I don't get fired from you here in, this, in my own show. Um, is he said, you know, when it comes to leadership, you got to meet people where you are. So everything right. where they're at, excuse me, you got to meet people where they're at. So listening to you, I mean, if anybody's listening to this, it's in HR and it's figuring like, how the hell do I do all of this? Reverse engineer everything that you just said. And as instead of being a leader, put yourself in as, you know, the HR is the leader. How do you make those things happen? So one of the things that you can do that is you have to meet people where they are. So if you have a weaker leader, then meet that leader where they are and work with them to bring them up to where you need to be. That is the art of influence right there. And, as a, and I'll say this kind of close it out. As, a, as yeah. a leader, you can exert a lot of influence and train people without actually having to hold a class. And here's my example. 
whenever I walk, and I do it now, whenever I walk into somebody's office and I'm one of the senior leaders, hey, I've got this really cool idea I need some help with, right? Not like, hey, I'm, we're doing this thing, I want your opinion, right? That doesn't, that doesn't resonate. We've got a really cool thing going on here and I want, I, want your, I want your help. Do you have a few minutes? Of course they do, you're the boss, right? But it's about, because what are they gonna do when they walk into your office, right? Why are junior folks scared to go into the boss's office? Because they gotta ask him for his time or her time. Right. right? You walk in and you ask for their time. And then when they say yes, you're like, oh, that's awesome, man. I really appreciate that. Do you mind if I sit down? Because it's what they're going to ask when they go in your office. And what you're saying is, hey, the hardest thing for leaders to do is say they have an open door policy and actually have it. Because that art of being a good open door leader is yeah. going through other open doors. Yep. Right. And I think that's really the driver. And like I said, the best, I, there's times where I joke around with Brandy where, I'm in the mood of thinking of so many things and we're trying to do this and we're trying to get this done and like that. Even at an event, we had an event one night at the spy museum because our phone got inducted into the spy museum. <laughs> and I'm thinking about this. we got Congress people there. we got everybody. I'm like, you know, the CEO over there is talking to CNN and we just got things going on. And I'm just like thinking all of a sudden she just comes up to me and she goes, Hey, all these really cool people we have are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Just go get a drink and enjoy yourself. Right. And it was like, I needed to be managed, right? I needed to be, needed to be managed up. Yeah. And I think that to me is, you know, never be afraid to understand that those senior people, whatever's going on in your head is going on in their head, but on steroids. <laughs> right. That's because a good way of putting it. There's the thing like you have this much of the pie. They've got the whole pie. Yeah. And if they're at all concerned about people, which this in my mind, you've heard me say it on multiple podcasts, the only reason to ever want to be a CEO is to make other people great. Yep. Right? If you want, if you want to do it for any other reason than that, please don't hurt anybody's feelings and save yourself the time. Right. Yep. So and that's the like thing. But like I said, I, I could talk about this stuff all day because I think the most important yeah. thing we do is the people piece. Yeah, I agree. And I'd love to have you back on again and, and talk Let more, more about that. We, we talk for hours about this stuff. So I think it's awesome that we're putting this out. Thank you so much. So if people wanted to find you, how could they, how could they follow you? You can, um, I'm on the easiest way. The most, most of the stuff I do and I put stuff out every day is on Instagram just because there's a platform. It's just so easy. And it's TK underscore Epley is very easy. Um, you can go find me over at Victory Strategies because um, I'm one of the managing directors there and I consult with those folks and it's really cool. Um, and then through LinkedIn and everything, I pop up on people's podcasts and things like that. So, um, and I'm always gracious when people ask me to come and be on their stuff. Ah, that's all right. Thank you so much for doing this. No, anytime. it stress is a killer it really is and you know what there hasn't been anybody out there right now in in the world who hasn't been impacted by covid at least not in the modern world and in this environment with all the challenges that we faced in 2020 you need to figure out how to manage your stress you need to figure out how to manage your stress your mindset and how you feel about what's going on in the world uh get out Go do stuff. <clears throat> and, you know, that's how you do that, that you make some changes in, in what you do with your environment, how you focus in on your recovery, how you focus in on the beginning part of your day, whatever, right? Whatever works for you. And also what you put into your body and how you move it. And there's two things that I've been doing for myself that really work to improve my sleep, improve my eating improve my mindset, my skin, my hair, everything. It's just been amazing. In addition to that, I lost 25 pounds and I did that using MASF Smashing Greens, but I've been able to to keep my immune system up by including that dense nutrition support that I got out of using it. So MASF Smashing Greens. I've actually replaced one of my meals. Uh, right now I'm only replacing one meal, but I wound up replacing two for a while. And let me tell you something, my grocery bill went down <laughs> on top of it. I was not spending nearly as much on food. Um, I'm not going out to restaurants. I don't really, I mean, I like going out to eat, but to be honest with you, getting food at restaurants, they, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, a lot of sugar, a lot of other things that I don't typically eat. And um, it's been, I haven't missed it, to be honest with you. And I've also noticed that I don't eat nearly as much as well. So MASF 
smashing greens. Absolutely awesome. I've also learned to manage my stress by increasing the amount of sleep I get each evening and I focus in on my recovery. And when I do that, I get a better quality sleep and I actually use THC-free Naked Warrior Recovery CBD gummies. They really do help me from help me recover from the day. I take one at about five o'clock in the afternoon, and it, I do the slow prog- progressive slow down to the evening because I, my mind is always going. I'm always thinking. I'm always doing something, um, and this is a way to start to just kind of rein me in a little bit. And then I take another one uh, before I go to bed. And ultimately, it helps me achieve a solid seven hours of good restful sleep each evening. So here's what I'm doing. I am offering, if you guys would like to try the Naked the uh, naked Warrior Recovery Navy Seal CBD Energy Drink, hit me up. You can hit, tag me in social media. You can go ahead and send me a message. You can send me an email. If you would like to try a sample, I'm giving samples away. All I need you to do is uh, message me, DM me, whatever. Give me your contact information. I'll pop one in the mail and send it out to you. It's awesome. The The Navy Seal CBD Energy Drink uh, gives you a combination of CBD and caffeine, which means that you get really super focused because those things too, they work, believe it or not, they actually work together. And instead of giving you a, a ton of, you know, out of this world energy, it actually helps you dial in. Um, and so you just get really, really super focused, makes you more effective at what you're doing. And I'm a firm believer in CBD. And like I said earlier in the show, you know, when I make a referral or a recommendation like this, I I don't get paid. You know, Will was on our show a little while ago. Um, he provides me some, with some stuff every now and again, and I greatly appreciate it, but total believer, total, total believer in this. So, all right, you guys know, I love when I get your questions. So you can submit your HR question, excuse me, you can submit your question on the brendathehrlady.com website by clicking on the podcast link from the menu and down towards the bottom of the podcast page is a submission form for you to go ahead and post your question, which I may read and answer on an upcoming episode. So this week's question, have you ever decided not to fire somebody during the meeting you'd set when you tell them that they were fired? Um, The answer to that is no. I haven't. Um, I have never done that. I have done that when it comes to um, getting ready to discipline somebody. And I thought I was going to go in and, you know, have this big conversation about disciplinary action. And I learned this a very long time ago. You may have something in your mind or you may see something playing out in a certain way. But at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, and when you sit down and you start talking to your employees about what's going on, you're going to learn stuff. You're going to learn things that you didn't know before. You're going to learn things about the situations that you're, you know, working to manage through. And, you know, if it doesn't feel right to have the disciplinary conversation or to have that termination conversation and you just need to look into something further that's fine. You know, err on the side of caution. There's nothing wrong with going back and figuring something out. And when you're talking about disciplinary action, you're talking about termination, you know, you really have to be a strong critical thinker. If you're not, then, you know, you're going to be firing off and doing things from a, a, a reaction standpoint rather than a well thought out response. So no, I've never fired. So I've never like decided to not fire somebody when I was in the process of firing them. I have, however, done that with discipline, uh, disciplining somebody because I learned something new and I knew that what the information I learned, I had to go investigate it. I had to do some, a deeper dive, uh, because it was new info that surfaced up. So, you know, that's kind of important stuff. So upcoming next month in November, We've got the HR Summit, and I'm so looking forward to this. This is going to be absolutely awesome. The summit is taking place between November 9th through the 13th. Um, We've got quite a few people who are signed up for this, so this is exciting stuff. If you cannot get in, because this has been, this is like a total first come, first serve when when you log in and sign into the room. If for some reason you can't get in, uh... 
don't worry about it. We're going to actually get you the video for that. This is a, this is a free, this is a free summit. This is the last time I'm going to do a summit like this at no cost. We've got Suzanne Lucas, who's my partner in crime over in the, uh, at the real HR show that we do once a week. She's going to be talking. She's also known as the evil HR lady. Tay Nelms, she was a former HR professional for the Bellagio and Treasure Island Hotels over in Las Vegas. She's going to get on the line as well. Steve Watson, awesome guy, so much fun to be around. Uh, he is currently serving as a CFO, and he's a founder of Trendbusters, which is an organization and an operation where they go in to try and figure out how they can help companies save money uh, through their benefits program. And then yours truly, I'm going to be coming in a couple of times on Wednesday and Friday. So what we're doing is we're doing one hour a, a week, one, excuse me, one hour a day, one day, a week, every day of the week from the 9th through the 13th. So we'll kick it off Monday, uh, 10 a.m. Eastern, Eastern Standard Time. And then we'll have a session uh, every day at the same time, once a week, same bat time, same back channel all week long. So it'll be, it'll be pretty great. And the reason why we wanted to do it that way, we didn't want to put something out where it was going to risk taking you away from the whole day because, you know, you get distracted and everybody, you know, wants to pull you in 16 different directions. Um, so we wanted to make it really easy. So we just broke it down and, and into the whole week. So pretty cool stuff. And, uh, you know, we're having real conversations in real time with real people. And, uh, and that's over in the next gen women in HR community. They are an awesome group of women and men, and we're growing, we're growing strong and we're growing fast. And I can speak for the group that, you know, we'd all love to have you join in and get involved in the conversation. We've just brought in, oh my gosh, we just brought in like 15 people in the last two weeks. And uh, it's just pretty fantastic. And we've got good questions that are already circulating. We try and put good content, good information out there, make sure that we're sharing stuff that, you know, is useful and helpful for you guys. So please come on in, get engaged, you know, get the conversation going and let's figure out how can we can help each other out. Now, if you're an HR pro or an, an aspiring HR pro, um, I believe that there are six aspects of leadership uh, that is in order for you to be successful, you must absolutely master them. Even if you aren't an HR manager and you're looking to get better at being a people leader, these six aspects will absolutely help you. And they are all available in my free HR leadership course at brendathehrlady.com. When you sign up for the course, you'll get my best practices and updates delivered directly into your inbox. And here's the thing. I don't like spam. Can't stand it. And for some reason, I'm suddenly on everybody's robocall phone list. I don't do that. You know, what we what we capture, we keep for ourselves. We don't sell our lists. We don't share our lists. We keep those things to ourselves. So you are not going to get spammed and bug uh, from this avenue. That is for sure. So if you guys are listening in, you're finding this podcast, um, you know, helpful and relevant, you know, hop on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever it is on, we've got 12 platforms where you actually listen to this and please do me a favor, leave your five-star review. I would super, I really, really, really would greatly appreciate it. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can go ahead and find me on Instagram and Facebook at Brenda the HR Lady. You can also find me on LinkedIn uh, just by using my name and that's Brenda. My last name is N-E-C-K, like the thing you want to choke. V is in Victor, A-T-A-L. And also I co-host, I mentioned earlier, another show called The Real HR Show with the evil HR lady herself, Suzanne Lucas. That you can find us over on YouTube. We drop a new episode every Monday. This podcast is every Wednesday. And lastly, you can jump on the website at brendathehrlady.com where you can read the news updates I called out earlier in today's episode. Simply visit brendathehrlady.com and click on the podcast link and you can get this week's articles. So thank you guys for, uh, for jumping in again on another one. I hope you really got a lot of good takeaways listening to DK, TK. He's just awesome. Uh, brilliant, brilliant guy. I can't say, I just can't stop saying it. Every time I think of, I just like literally my jaw just hits the ground listening to him. Just what comes out of him is just so great. So powerful right on the money every time and uh and it's just it's so great to have them around so great to have you guys around too and we will talk to you